Good evening, friends. Welcome back to Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? How's your week? Meh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that. Uh, let's see. We, we had a, we had a uh, cancelization. We talked last week about coming up. We were going to come down. We we're going to have some games with friends, and that unfortunately got. Yeah, canceled, yeah. So. I don't, I don't want to uh, belabor that at all. But uh, uh, someone in our in our friend group uh, tested positive, but is asymptomatic, mm-hmm. um, and already has a second. Uh, test result back that is that is negative did i say negative the first time obviously i meant positive um and so in an abundance of caution we've canceled the in-person gathering that was supposed to happen this weekend instead we are going to dedicate a whole couple days to uh playing games online board games and video and, and games. It, you know it's the responsible thing it was Should the responsible thing to do but we're yeah, we're, we're going to do our best and have a, have a good time online that we can and so it's disappointing that we all don't get to see each other like we do in this time. But you know, hopefully we'll, this weekend we'll we'll have we will have some fun and and come back to we'll, next we'll week. You and I yeah. talking about some new things and good times anyway. Yeah. So I don't have I don't know that I have any major um, updates on the house. Oh, we did install a uh, a kitchen bar. Like we opened up the wall between the kitchen and the dining mm-hmm. room. This. Is super exciting uh, with me just talking about it without pictures. Mm-hmm. But um, we got a big, a great big barn uh, beam laid flat um, and attached with some some old school um, nails. Those like tapered nails. I don't know if you know, if you can picture what okay. I'm talking about. Um, and we're doing epoxy over it, which is that like clear plastic that, yeah, that yeah, turn, yeah. makes you know wood shiny and 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 solid um and i've never done that before so that's that's exciting i've done the first coat already man and uh it's gonna there's been a trend or a not trend i guess there's a whole couple channels on tiktok where there people show their uh what's it called river making stuff where they have like it looks like a Mm -hmm. table and they make they use that epoxy stuff yeah i i am not on tiktok i have seen things that people send me um but within within the last three or four years i have uh followed a couple of accounts on instagram Mm -hmm. that are uh either that kind of stuff or food like there's one that's a that's a um um like a butcher shop or something in germany and they'll just do a video of like a guy outside somewhere with open flame and a big cast iron skillet and a nice knife set like just take a take a t-bone or something and season it and put the butter and the thyme in the pan and like you just watch the whole video and you know it's like a minute and a half um yeah or you yeah, know that guy seems to be like on, that kind of stuff my, 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 my tiktok too because it keeps coming that keeps coming pro- up. Pro- probably probably and there are a couple of accounts like that but it can be kind of uh kind of mesmerizing i know i a couple a week or so ago got on got on youtube late one night when i wasn't you know trouble falling asleep and watch some of those um uh korean street food videos mm-hmm. i don't know if you've ever seen sure. those they'll just do like a bunch of these i don't even know what stuff's called like different omelet sandwiches or or whatever and like you'll see them you know with the tools it's like um what's the thing called uh it's sort of like hibachi like the like the um the benihana oh yeah thing. right yeah um but with some variation you know if you've if you're in the u.s and you've gone to 
uh, hibachi more than two or three times. You're like, it's just it's, always it's the always same. the same. There's the volcano bits. out of the, the onions. Sa- right? You see the same <laughs> onion volcano. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Big big burst of flame. It's as, funny. I went to I know, went to um, uh, a all inclusive, really nice resort down in Mexico one year about three or four years ago, and they okay. had this very like you could go to these. They had really nice restaurants that you could go to. Right, you had to sign up to. It sure. was free, but it was you know, res- reservation type stuff. And there was one that was a, mm-hmm. a very exclusive one that hard, you had to reserve like before you even came. Um, and we did, and it was a hibachi thing. And it was great because we we're so excited for that night. It all, it's all dressed up really nice. We went in there and it's the same things that they did. Mm. <laughs> that was, you know, he throws an egg up in the air and it breaks it on the thing. I'm like, I, I saw this in Bloomington. It's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's cool, but... Uh you know sure I, like you yeah, was, you feel you feel kind of bad cuz you know the chef is uh you know giving his all for that performance and, you, and they're talented uh, i could never do that stuff but still of course of course yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I always wonder how many how many times how many how do how do you practice this do you just have like you just keep flipping your 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 spatulas until you know your fingers bleed or something <laughs> it's it's like anything else yeah you just you just practice it everything's a skill <laughs> and uh and and takes practice right but they can't practice in front of customers right so they, you have to like train for it for a month or so before you get hired yeah <laughs> i mean i'm sure there are there are uh there are dojos with rival dojos <laughs> where they they learn the the sacred art of onion volcanoes oh man now there needs to be some that's, kind of a netflix terrible. mockumentary with that that would be great mm. <laughs> the, do, the dojos oh that's great uh yeah so that's funny. um what were you saying about those? I forgot. Forgot. So we got off. We get distracted. Oh, we're, you were talking about videos with the resin and the. River. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely seen those. We're not doing anything nearly that fancy with like uh, blue dye or or anything like that. We're just the the board has some big holes in it, like you know, not not gaping holes, but like you know, a quarter inch wide hole, or they're like some big nail holes on the one end. And of course, we want the whole surface to be smooth so that people can put you oh, know. Yeah, yeah snack dishes or whatever on it when they entertain yeah you and i haven't talked a whole lot about tiktok namely because you're not on it but the uh it's uh and i don't want to go into it a whole lot here but the fact that it's like a two minute type video and i know the fines and things like that but it's just interface whatever the the point is it being that these you get on things like the food stuff you were talking about and it and and it is admittedly very inspiring I'll, i'll see like the guy you were explaining it seemed like all you see is his hands. He's out in the woods and he's got vegetables. And he just like chop, 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 puts them in a thing, puts them on the fire, you know, or, or whatever. And it, it, because it's only two minutes, you get everything that you need to know kind of in that quick time. Uh, yeah. So or whatever videos or food they're choosing to make, whether it be this guy or a different one, it has to fit. Explanation of it has to fit within two minutes. Right. So the videos right. you get are usually incredible, but simple dishes and i will admit they've inspired me a lot of times to just run out to the store buy things whip it up real quick and for the most part the things i've seen work because food with some experimentation doesn't have to be really hard right you know you can no no it's well it's like i just like i just was saying practice and skill like you start to get a sense for like you know this is how you crack an egg and you get a feel for how to not you know do it hard enough to crack but not so hard that it you know shatters um yeah, yeah. 
and you know that's just one example you know get a get a sense i did something speaking of speaking of food um uh we've said uh, m- many times that i make i regularly make freezer burritos yeah mm-hmm. um and i had used up you know my my latest supply about a week and a half ago and um waited a couple days because i didn't really want to go to the grocery store it's this whole this whole thing but um i went and uh one of our one of our buddies aaron uh mostly eats vegan or at least vegetarian Mm -hmm. um and he's not you know weird about it we just all of us share all of us who cook regularly share photos of of things that we made on discord and Uh, you know, so he'll say like, I made these burgers out of these mushrooms and I made this queso out of cashew cheese or whatever. And I'm like, you know, most of what goes into a burrito is not an animal product. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if I could make, I could get some of that, some of that, whatever it is, soy product that looks like ground beef and, uh, and make burritos out of that. Like, that's all it is. It's that and cheese. The rest of the burrito is like beans peppers onions rice if i use rice um i'm like this would this would probably be fine and so i did that the the meat tastes a little weird it's not meat what i don't know what to call it but it tastes a little weird on its own it like i i browned it up that's where i was going with this talking about like practicing and getting a sense for how things work when you're cooking like you brown hamburger you brown up ground beef enough times and you know what to expect right you can tell visually when it's working when it's close to done and when it's too when it starts to burn like you you have the you know your senses to to track all that well this stuff of course didn't cook like meat it was sort of pink the way that ground beef is but it didn't turn quite gray the way that ground (laughs) beef does when you cook it and so i had to just kind of have a feel for it. and of course it's it's plant-based so i'm not really worried about it being undercooked right um but uh anyway i did that uh refried i don't know if it's still called refried but um black beans um in the pressure cooker that i put in the in a the blender uh, not blender um stand mixer okay to mix it up it's basically like bean the bean version of mashed potatoes, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's so it's it's the consistency of refried beans, just with black beans instead of pinto beans. Yeah. Um, and that had peppers and onions in it that while well, cooked, so it just turns into a thing. And then I also sautéed um, more peppers and onions and just a little bit of like three habaneros for thirty some burritos, um, which I'm not I'm not a spicy food guy, but the the last batch I made were dry and also kind of bland so that i ended up just dumping uh cholula hot sauce in like almost every bite and i'm like let me make the burrito itself just a little bit spicy and uh and then uh, you know i'll be i'll be you know good to go on that but uh my food they turned out pretty good they turned out really well i i started describing the meat it i you know had a piece of it while i was browning it and it like it tasted like sausage at first but then, like in the aftertaste, it I just got all that soy tofu-y kind of kind of stuff. But of course, in a burrito, there's so much flavor with beans, peppers, onions, and habaneros that 
the like the meat is the the plant meat is just um it's just texture at that point yeah right I, well i mean um, sometimes it is so yeah they're, the they're good no yeah. no cheese and uh oh, then and plant, you just ruin the whole thing protein you put no meat in it no cheese jeez it's terrible i don't want any of it <laughs> they're 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 much better than the last batch I made that were that were too. Dry. I, I will say so. that burri- burritos or or wrapping things in a tortilla shell is is sure. is uh, something that is underutilized here in America at least. It, I have started to do to have in my house a burrito sh- tortilla shells uh, as a mm-hmm. regular thing. Like people go to the store and buy a loaf of bread and milk, you know here. Uh, I also make a staple, you know, eggs, milk, uh, bread, and tortilla shells. I mean, because there's just so many things you can do without having to have like, you know, yeah, rich yeah. Bread. I mean, I think, I think we, as a as a culture, like went into that rap phase like yeah. seven or eight years ago. Not not music rap. I'm talking about tortilla rap. And of course, our friends, because they're the way they are. We had a a, a um, extended debate about what the difference between a wrap and a burrito is because wraps are usually cold but not always mm-hmm. i think the i think the deciding factor eventually came down to if you cut it in half in the middle and eat uh, you know from there out to the to the ends then it's a wrap because you don't do that with a burrito <laughs> sure uh, yeah so you could put i mean it's so easy to do anything from a, a burrito or a wrap or whatever it is to, to wrap it yeah, in a tortilla absolutely. shell. Like, um, I, today, this today I had one, um, you know, I, I've been trying to eat eggs kind of in my diet here, just having more mm-hmm. eggs. Um, and I had like three eggs and I decided, you know, I can make, um, scrambled eggs. Fine. Sure. But it was easy enough to take scrambled eggs, some cheese, slice up a Roma tomato and sour cream and wrap it up. Like it's so it's just easy. You just put it in a nice little wrap thing. It's contained. You can walk around with it, and it's delicious, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I can uh, if I've got rice, or if I don't have rice, I can make. Um, you can put you know lettuce in it, and some chicken. Wrap it up. You've got a wonderful little thing, right? That that tastes. <laughs> and I, and I I love the taste of tortilla shell anyway. And I I typically mm-hmm. have those spinach ones, which are like the green or the tomato ones. Oh yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are good. So they're, they're it's just. It's so easy to do, and we could do it with anything. You can have a bologna. You can take bologna, and you can slice it up and put American cheese in there <laughs> and ro- roll it up in a thing, and it's fantastic. And it's considerably more healthy than having, you know, white bread. Uh, uh, sure, white bread sure. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that. I, I like, I've got, as I've gotten older and more, in the last 10, 15 years, I've cooked. Uh, I like cooking, and I like throwing stuff together. I sadly have a very small kitchen. Which is a mistake. Whenever house I have next, I'm not gonna, re- you know, repeat. I'm gonna mm. have a much bigger kitchen. Uh, so when you can have a larger space, it's so much easier and nicer to be able to. Think. But I've gotten better at at knowing flavors. Uh, you know, being not over seasoning, but you know, also put, mm-hmm. putting enough seasoning. That's that's a big thing too. I think you know a lot of times, uh, like you said, with experimentation and testing and just trying to do stuff is. Um, like my steaks, I always just had, you know, use them naturally when I cook steaks. Now I know it's okay to put a lot of seasoning on a steak, right? If you're seasoning it. Um, sure. And to know how to do that or uh, because I would just put a little bit, you know, how you taste it. Or it's okay when you're making a burger to put seasoning in the burger, right? And to season it up properly. 
Otherwise, yeah. you just have a yeah. taste of ground hamburger. You know, one of the things that I and this is I don't know it's a weird kind of thing, but when I first started to cook was right around the time. I don't know. I think maybe my parents were changing up the way that that they cook or something like that. But um, I would use olive oil for everything, mm -hmm. like cook with it. Yeah. And it took me several years to learn that it's that's not really ideal because olive oil is so delicate. Um, it it burns, you does. know, it smokes yeah, at at pretty at pretty low temperatures and. Also, there's like, yes, butter isn't great for you, but there's a reason that so many things are cooked with butter because yeah. it tastes really it good. It does. It changes and, the flavor dramatically. Right. And so, and so for certain things, you're like, you're like, well, I'm eating this and I'm putting bacon on it. Like, it's already pretty bad. <laughs> like, you, cooking the eggs in olive oil instead of butter is not going to make this healthy. Right, right, you're right, um, you're right. You've already got a lot of cheese in it. And and stuff like, um, you know, my mom, I, you said that about the small kitchen. I was sort of impressed with the things I was able to do in my small kitchen when I lived in Bloomington, much like half the size of your kitchen, mm -hmm. if you can imagine wow. that. Um, I basically could just stand in there. You could not get two people in there. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I'm I'm staying at my parents now, and they have a big kitchen with a six burner stove and a double oven, wow. and um, you know, so there's all this space to sort of uh, uh, stretch out and do stuff. But um, my mom doesn't buy uh, vegetable oil or canola oil. Oh yeah. Um, it, instead, she buys coconut oil, which I'm like, I don't like coconut. Like anything you, you know, put coconut on, like the um, almond joy candy bar yeah. anything like that i'm like well no no but um the coconut oil has just like the faintest trace of that coconut flavor in it okay. and it it cooks higher so like last march uh was it march yeah i guess when we were still in the early days of whatever this this covid thing was going to turn out to be i made fish and chips for um uh, saint patrick's day and so I bought a thing of, you know, I bought a big thing of coconut oil because I'm like, I want to deep fry it, but, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get sideways looks if I come back with peanut oil or, or canola oil. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, let me, let me try this. And it was great. Yeah, yummy. Uh, the, but the, yeah, the so butter, it's just stuff you learn. The butter thing is 100%. I, I tried, I get what you're saying. I tried for the longest time of my cooking. When I would cook terrible when I was in my 20s to when I was in my 30s and thinking like, I need to not have butter because it's it's you know it's kind of like a crutch and it's not good for you. You can cook healthier foods without butter and it's right. just as good tasting. Right. But then it's I now in my forties, I'm like, <laughs> as soon as you put a pat of butter on a steak, you can do whatever you want and you can work hard to make it. But if you just put a pat of butter in it and put it in the the oven, oh my god, it just that little bit makes everything pop right. Um, yeah. When I have shrimp. Putting butter in the pan and then cooking the shrimp in the butter instead of olive oil or something, you know, it just all of a sudden the flavor is enormous. The, mm -hmm. the, the butter. It's silly, but and it's yeah. right. You don't want to eat tons of butter all the time, but it is kind of yeah. a miracle cooking thing. And in all of the cooking shows you'll watch, always use butter, right? Like, yeah, I think I think Rachel Ray used a lot of olive oil, and maybe that was part of 
kickstarting that trend. Um, and a lot of that stuff is driven by diet stuff. Like I think the Atkins diet yeah. encouraged and, and just general low carb stuff pushed the, the wrap uh, movement, the, the tortilla yeah. shell movement. Yeah. I use, I, I always um, used olive oil for my, to like to fry up eggs, right? If I was going to do fried eggs, I just use an olive mm. oil spray or something. Sure. Uh, but when you occasionally would put instead of olive oil, a pat of butter there, all of a sudden the eggs are in the stratosphere and they're just eggs, right? But you're like, oh man, that, that makes a, a huge difference. But butter's mm-hmm. crazy. Ugh. Man, we got it. We got it sidetracked with food, but not, you know, I, I haven't eaten dinner yet. So maybe that's what it is. I'm like, my, my mind is on food. Oh man, it's it's late to have not. Uh, yeah. Well, we got caught up. Thanks everybody for for joining our cooking podcast. <laughs> That's right. All the the yum food that we wanted to eat. <laughs> um. Let's see. We we watched movies on Thursday. I know you weren't in for the first. What was the second? Oh, Naked Gun. I watched part of the first. Um, I watched the, the yeah, Team America thing. Team America, World Police. It's it's old. It's satirical. It uh the the satire is a little less funny now than it was 15 years ago. Yeah, I think I think um, I think it's it's a it feels like a, a decent respectable choice for a Thursday night showing. Uh of course, of course. But, we had a very low turnout, but I don't think it was because of that movie. No. Uh but but I but I also think that, you know, putting it in the thing saying like, "Hey, we're showing this show" doesn't necessarily also make people like, "Oh, I got to get on," right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. like some things do but yeah it's yeah it's it, it feels dated it's also it was funny how similar the the sort of framework or the the theme was to to naked gun which was our second movie yeah. this like you, you know paramilitary paragovernment kind of uh organization looking for terrorists <laughs> um of course you know it's just south park guys with puppets versus right. uh uh, Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, it's it, you know the 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 first movie. What's it called? Team America. So it's just, it, it's yeah, it's very much. Team I America. mean, it's just like this, like you said, the South Park guys. So it's that humor, right? Yeah. So it, it's very. It's just it just make fun of everybody. Everything's a joke, and yeah, you know, in in a certain time, in a certain frame of mind, like that's it is. It's good. That's what you want. Yeah. Like you just want something to laugh at. I, I certainly like my days of of South Park, but I. Like I don't have very much of a desire to go watch back and watch South Park now, you know. But right. but, but it's weird. That's is weird, right? I think it's a thing you just grow out of. It sounds stupid to say that. I feel like an old man saying growing out of things, but yeah, Maybe, you just. I, I mean, it, I mean, uh, I would say hu- humor and comedy is a moving target. Sure. Right. You're always trying to uh, uh, find something new because at a certain point, like. You you can only laugh at the same joke so many times. Yeah, you're right. That's probably what it is. I think I think when you're you know, sixteen or twenty or whatever it is, and you you start hearing poop and fart jokes and they're hilarious, and then you just keep hearing the same poop and fart jokes. You're like, eh, it's not so hilarious anymore. And then after a while, you're right. like, how many times are you gonna tell me about poop and fart jokes? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Pro- probably that that kind of thing. I'm mean, not I'm not putting down poop and fart jokes. I'm just saying you know they're. It's <laughs> like you said, it's a, it's a, a moving target. They're, they're funny at one point. If you've seen, if you've not seen them, then they're funny again, kind of like naked, naked gun, right? Like, um, I didn't laugh as hard at the, that show as I used to, but I still find it mm-hmm. funny, but it, right. or airplane, same thing. Right. Uh, 
because I've seen it, I've done, I've seen it, but they're definitely hilarious movies that are comedy gold. Right. Especially the way that like those Leslie Nielsen shows movies do. They just, they never stop. It's just con constant <laughs> joke to joke to joke to joke. And who said that toward the end of that movie? They're like, they're like, does it, does this movie ever stop having gags? <laughs> and you're like, no, no, it's from the beginning, from the opening sequence. It's just nonstop gags. Yeah, which is that is impressive, right? That <laughs> you can do that, and, and yeah, and Leslie Nielsen is together. spot on. That knows how to deliver every one of them, right? His delivery of a deadpan line. This is a thing that I used to um, mention a lot. Anytime somebody would talk about um, uh, Gene Wilder, yeah, yeah, um. Because I, you know, one of the movies that I watched fairly frequently as a kid is uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people don't like it. It's it's dark. It's got some very crazy, surreal kind of sequences. Mm -hmm. um, but as I got a little bit older and after I watched Blazing Saddles and a, a couple others of his um, movies, Young Frankenstein and, and, and st stuff, um, I grew to appreciate his... His delivery in situations where, like, you know, the parents or, or characters, whatever, are panicking, and he would just give them some really glib, like, oh, I'm sorry, all questions must be submitted and written for. Yeah, right. This way, please. Right. Um, and that is even, you know, still a little more animated than the delivery Leslie Nielsen gives in some of these movies. Like, I always quote the the line from Airplane where they're like, oh, what were the what were the meal options for the passengers? Um well, there was uh, chicken and roast beef, and and Leslie Nielsen goes, "Oh yes, I remember. I had lasagna." <laughs> right. And you're like, "What is that?" That's. I mean, maybe that's a reference to something that's that I don't that I'm too young to know. <laughs> but even without knowing the reference, I still think that exchange is hilarious. He just says it because so matter just, of fact, it's just nonsense. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, a side caveat comment on the um. Willy Wonka thing. I've been to two drive-ins this summer because of all the COVID and stuff, and they're not actually. Oh yeah, I've stuff. heard that those. That's big. They're like reshowing. Yeah. Jurassic Park and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's actually very, very is very, very cool. And I forget about it. Maybe you know who knows. Uh, next weekend I'll go to an, to another one. But the um, the movie companies are doing some kind of a deal for drive-in theaters where they're you know letting them use their movies. Because you know mm. they want them to stay open and have some kind of a yeah they they want to get they want to get box office prices from somewhere yeah and and they're, it's a fragile market drive-ins are fragile market anyway um, and yeah. it would be devastated destroyed if there was nothing to show um, and it is a place that you can actually go to the movie theater and be safe uh, but anyway so I saw two of them I can't remember where the first one was and the second one I, we took Lola to go see was Willy Wonka and mm. I had not seen it in a while. Uh, in its entirety, and it is creepy movie. <laughs> yeah, it is a yeah. wacky, and I don't mean that in a funny, but like psychologically whacked movie. Yeah, like I, yeah. I can't even think of how how, how the, even the whole beginning. I had real problems with Grandpa. By the way, I I realized that Grandpa was was that's a that's a I don't want to call it a meme, but that's a thing that's popped up on the internet in the last like four or five years. People are like, wait. Grandpa Joe gets up and dances around. 
He's been living in a bed for like first of all the whole thing with the with bed. The bed. Like, how is that? <laughs> how is that like twenty years yeah. in the bed? Like how does how does that work? And then, and then yeah, like he gets up and dances around, and you're like, what the f? That's exactly what Shelly and I looked at each other and like, why are they so happy? He has been mooching off these poor people for twenty right, years, right. and now he's like, oh, I can get up and. Go to Willy Wonka's thing. I won the lottery. Yeah, look, I'm healed, guys. I'm healed. It's all good now. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. what is going? And then, and then, before that scene, like Grandpa Joe comes and gives him like money, or they they get like I can't. I don't know what it was. He brought, he sold bread or something like that. The boy Charlie did to get like a penny or something, right? And he right, gives it to right. Uncle Joe. They can't eat. They're eating potato water, right? At that right. that night. And then he gives Grandpa Joe the penny so that he can buy tobacco. And Uncle, right. and Uncle Joe's like, no, you should buy dinner for everybody. And he's like, no, Uncle Joe, you need your tobacco. And Uncle Joe's like, thank you, Charlie. I'll have my tobacco. Like, you <laughs> butthole. <laughs> your smoking habit. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen that. Actually, not as long as I think think probably four or five years ago and i watched it with um uh riff tracks it's those a couple of the guys from mystery science theater and on that episode they had neil patrick harris as a guest um and so they're you know they're making jokes the whole time it's like they're they go in the they go in the room in the factory and the guys are like is it possible to have too much whimsy (laughs) for sure for sure well and then there's the scene that i couldn't remember but I still was, again, Shelly and I looked at each other just stunned when they go through a tunnel and he starts doing this like demonic chanting and there's like cockroaches or something. That tunnel sequence, like I, I was very entertained by it as a kid. Um, I know that, you know, probably now for people to, I mean, even at the time, I'm sure it was like this wild kind of, it's, um, they, they pay homage to it in Thor Ragnarok. Um, do they, uh, uh, Taika Waititi, I think, is the director on that. Um, when right before he pops out and meets Jeff Goldblum, yeah, right, he's like he's like strapped into a chair and he goes through this this tunnel with all this crazy stuff happening around him. And I'm like, oh man, who is gonna who is because they've already teased like the grand leader or whatever his name is. I'm like, who is this grand leader gonna be? I know Gene Wilder has passed away, so mm-hmm. so who's it going to be? And of course, it was Jeff Goldblum, which is great. Yeah, but um, yeah, I was like, oh, they're doing the Willy Wonka, the Willy Wonka thing. It's it's so crazy, and and he is he is very weird and strange, like creepy strange. Like I would not want him around any of my kids ever. Did you ever did you ever read um, any of those books? I did not. Uh, no. Road Doll. No, I did not. Um, I, as a, you know, as a kid, I was a reader, right? I didn't read comic books or anything, but I'd go to the library and get, uh, you know, the, um, whatever that mouse who drove the motorcycle and the Ramona Quimby stuff. Oh, Ramona um, Quimby. I remember that. Yeah. All of that, uh, when I was a kid, but, um, I also read, like I read Matilda, I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, a handful of handful of those i can't think of any of the other titles now but like there's a sequel to charlie and the chocolate factory um matilda has this whole like a lot of this weird kind of stuff they're you know they're fanciful children's stories and 
I don't remember when they were written. Not super long ago, but at least like the n- they're no newer than the seventies. Yeah. Right, and so it's like before. I don't know. There's just a thing where I feel like uh, writing fiction used to be um, a lot more like crazy. A lot, a lot more yes. uh, crazy. So not, I, not I, I wonder word. though. A lot more wild. It's like you think about. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Like the original Grimm's fairy oh, tales, yeah. really horrifying are, and. Yeah. are so dark. I mean, most of them are cautionary tales, right? Yeah. Like you're trying to scare the kids into not wandering off into the forest alone yeah. because, the witch will eat you know, in, yeah. in reality, it's dangerous. Like they could trip on something and hit their heads and be dead. Right. But you don't really want to say that to a kid. Um, and so in, instead you tell them this fanciful story. It's not like, oh, there's a, there's a witch in this woods, so don't go in the woods. But once there were children who wandered into the woods and they found this witch mm. and she ate them. Like, <laughs> yeah. you just sort of like obliquely instill that sort of fear. And of course, we don't live in villages surrounded by woods anymore. So we don't need um, um, stories like that. Uh, but yeah, those rural doll books are all, all I, pretty, I wonder if like... Uh, surreal i wonder if it it works as kids story like wonka because the kids are interesting i mean they're jerks but they're 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 interesting and kind of maybe kids just focus on the kids and don't think too much about all the adult stuff and as now as adults when we watch it you're like you look at the adults and all of the interactions that are happening there and it's just really really makes it odd which is funny because when whoever wrote it or wrote the screenplay or did anything like that Mm -hmm. had to have really been aware of how odd they're writing right and, and a director sure. and let's have a, a cockroach crawl across the screen and let's have horror thing happen and like <laughs> and, and it wasn't just like one yeah. guy doing it it was the whole team of you know production assistants and you know, sure. producers sure and- <laughs> well you know there are there are a couple people with the creative vision yeah i wonder i don't remember now anymore but i wonder if that uh, sequence equates to something in the book and what uh, how that is described in the book because of course the new the new version with Johnny Depp is is like has some has some similarities but you know his his performance is just so odd and off-putting it's it's more unsettling I think than the original oh, it is. but of yeah, course it's... I grew up watching the original so they're, they're both creepy as I'll get out perspective is but a little the, the, uh, he um uh He's like non caring about murder, I guess. Too he's like half mm-hmm. the people are are dying, and then he's like, "Oh, she, they're stuck or something." Or where'd she go? Oh, she's down by the furnace now. Surely she's being cooked up. You're like, what? I don't think. <laughs> I mean, don't they get they get to the end, and that you know, none of the kids actually die. Yeah, he right? he says so at the end, like they're all okay and they're all back. I think he does, but uh, for the whole time, does. you're definitely like. Oh my God, he's a murderer and does not care about it. And he's like, you bet, and he tells the parents, you better run down there. She's probably eaten by monsters by now or something, you know, and you're like, or chopped up into little pieces. You are right, right. psycho. Man. I think there's, I think there's a little bit of that thing we talked about um, with the Wizard of Oz where, um, you know, for, for a long time and, and still to an extent for kids movies, um, and this, you know, this is a, a case that 
today is considered pretty dark for a kid's movie. But um, there's a certain sense where most of what you need is just spectacle, right? Just something on the screen that's like crazy and, and funny or, or disturbing in some way to like to just entertain people. And kids. <laughs> I, I, kids aren't ki- kids aren't, you know, really thinking deeply about stuff. They're just like, Oh, they're in the tunnel and the tunnel keeps getting smaller. That's crazy. So weird. Um, so weird. Yeah. I always thought it was weird when I first watched it and I didn't quite understand it, but it didn't bug me. But n- now it is the, the last thing I want to say about uncle Joe is, you know, Charlie's great the whole time <laughs> and is one of the best, you know, kindest people in the world always at all times. And then not only yeah, yeah. does Uncle Joe self-serving and selfish and everything, but he, he goes in there, he does the one thing that you're not supposed to do. He tells him not to do. And Uncle Joe's like, yeah, let's drink this soda and go up and get killed. Which, again, they have a whole sequence about them being chopped up in the the fan that's metal and spinning ahead. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's because of Uncle Joe. I'm like, he talks Charlie into mm. doing wrong stuff. No, Charlie, don't don't worry about that it's not right. Just do it anyway. Uncle Joe, you are Yeah, well, it's... And that's the that's another sort of kids uh children's fiction trope where almost all of the of the parents are unreliable. Yeah, right? sure, like yeah. the you know, I mean you go through that whole story, all of those kids have parents that are that are bad for them in some way, right? Right. Like that's a weird way to say that. But like, you know, Veruca Salt is this spoiled rich girl and her dad owns this factory and the mom and like the dad's kind of frustrated that that Veruca is such a spoiled brat, and the mom is just like, you know, if you just give her what she wants, then she'll be quiet yeah, and everything yeah. will be fine. And and then you know, um, uh, Mike, whatever TV is his yeah. TV TV Mike, his his parents let him watch TV all the time. Um, just just everything, all of them. And so yeah. you have you know Charlie's mother is is good, fine. There's nothing wrong with her and grandpa joe is okay but he's also not you know not really good you know he's he wants him to give the gobstopper to um the guy he does right uh, yeah yeah that too and he and all that that's you know that's the problem like him to charlie to lose the whole thing right yeah i don't know how we got in willy wonka but it was just such a funny (laughs) such a funny thing that that i watched recently and I, i know after i watched it i was like I, I remember you saying that you li- you had liked it as a kid, and I was like, "Man, we should talk about this because this is something." <laughs> this is yeah. It- there's a good um, one of the movie podcasts I listen to, uh, um, Film Sack. It's uh, it's Scott Johnson uh, from Frog Pants who does the instance. Um, one of their early episodes, like ten plus years ago, when they started that podcast, uh, was about Willy Wonka, and it was really interesting. <laughs> Quite a thing. Hey, uh, speaking yeah. of movies, I'm transitioning us here into this one uh, that are are weird and hard to to think about how you feel about. Can we talk about this week's 2020 challenge? Uh, yeah, sure. All right, this week we watched Stanley Kubrick's 1940, 1940, 1964 comedy, uh, Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It's a weird thing, right? Um, I guess we should hit spoilers for this. Wait, wait, g- give it, us a synopsis ends... for people who are thinking about. Should I? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, according to IMDb, 
an insane general triggers a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically try to stop. Yes, and and it is a one of the few things I've ever seen this, this label correctly placed. It's a drama and a comedy, and it's a war movie. Yeah, yeah it's a war movie. It's an anti-war movie um, that's... It's another one of those like Apocalypse Now that is anti-war, but also has some real like, uh, I don't know what the word is for like um, getting fired up about war or about fighting battles, you know, like, like, uh, I mean, the whole, this is not spoilers yet, but the whole uh, sequence with the, with the crew on the plane, the bomber. You know, they play when Johnny comes marching home, you know, yeah. Civil War music, yeah. like, like stirs your heart like a, like a, uh, you know, rousing national anthem. Right. Uh, kind of thing. Like we saw in um, um, Casablanca. Yeah. And so, like, it has that, but it's also clearly anti, maybe not anti-war, but anti-Cold War, anti-nuclear proliferation. Yeah, and it, it, th- those labels of drama, comedy, war, uh, they all fit but they all at the same time don't fit right like yeah like, like you really need all of them to say what this what this uh what this right movie but, is. So, but to say it's uh, a dramatic movie is does not describe it and this and, it, and it's not it's, dramatic yeah, in the way you enough. think it's also if you think oh it's got a comedy therefore it must be funny yes but you know uh, okay so we can do spoilers here now at this point i think yeah we're going to talk about the story and spoil the ending so if you haven't seen it, go watch it and come back, or skip ahead and hear our final thoughts. I, I don't. I did. I don't have a feel about this movie. Yet. Okay, I did two things. Okay, um, two things different, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, while watching this, uh, first I watched it in VR. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Um, it's it's an hour and a half, so I sat at my desk, which is not the most comfortable place. I have a standing desk and tall chair, so it was kind of weird, but easier than trying to wear the VR headset like laying in my bed or something, yeah, which yeah. is which is awkward. Um, I also took notes using uh, the Siri on my phone. Um, oh, that's, so that's that cool. I, so, so that I could remember as I had thoughts going through. So Man, I you were full-on technology mode with this. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. I was... I was, uh, I was on t- well, and I knew... You know, I looked at it when I when I loaded it up that it's uh, 95 minutes long. And I'm like, that is short enough that that I'll be fine. I'm not going to hit like, you know, an hour and a half and go, oh, there's another half an hour left <laughs> of this. Even if it's normal or if it's not something like the like the two and a half, three hour movies that we've watched a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. What what what, uh, what application did you use to view it? Um. Well, I watched it on Plex, so I yes. used the the web browser. Oh, so, okay. So um, you just watched it through the web browser. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no native Plex app for the Oculus Quest. There was one for the Go, but I guess it was not very good, and they never updated it to work yes, with the Quest. Right. People have gotten it loaded using the like side quest kind of things and yeah. and stuff like that but they say it's not it doesn't really work now, see, very well now, and i'm see, like see i why would i go through all those i steps? had gone into always use big screen and you can load up your like your desktop and, right. and watch the desktop. i've done that too using using remote desktop or like um 
I've used immersed and that one's okay. It's like an, it's like a remote desktop. The trouble I have with big screen is I lose all the controls. And so I have to go back to the computer if I want to pause. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's in the, you you see it in the theater type thing, but yeah. Uh, cool. Okay. Well, so I, the first, the first 30 minutes, maybe I thought I didn't like the show. And then in the middle 30 minutes, I think I liked the show. And a couple of times I was baffled at what I was watching and didn't know what, how to process it. <laughs> I didn't know what to sure. think. And, and even at the end, I, I think it was over. And I was like, well, I did that thing. You know? Yeah. I, I will say it is a very unique show in its writing. It's, it feels very um, like, was this written by one person? It had to have been written by one person, right? Um. The screenplay credits say uh, Stanley Kubrick and Terry Southern. Okay. I don't know who, ter- I don't know if this is an adaptation. That's often what happens. Like if somebody, uh, oh, and the third credit is Peter George, who authored a book called Red Alert. So this is based on that book. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, 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 it felt very much like this. Um, we're all mad here type thing right right um i i sort of mentioned this last week um or last week or the week before um with the kind of books that are their um political political analogy political satire um that they're the kind of books that you often read in high school you know they're assigned reading um Um, stuff like animal Animal farm Farm, 1984 um uh, Miss, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim yeah. uh, is another Secret one. Nim, yeah. um, and so so this is one of those where the the whole point of the story is to get across how crazy and, and I'm using the word crazy a lot tonight, just how insane insanely dangerous um, this situation we're in with all of these nuclear weapons yeah i i, I um, actually like the term mad i mean not angry mad but yeah like because it's not crazy like oh it's a crazy wild ride it's you know right it's in it's like mentally a problem you know <laughs> yeah crazy, yeah you know? and that's why like the the beginning of the movie has a big disclaimer right yeah. but it's sort of a it's sort of a winky disclaimer right where he's like yeah. oh the u.s air force assured us that the events in this movie could never happen in real life um, yeah, in bold black and white letters, you know, bold, bold thing. black and white letters. Um, yeah, I saw this over 10 years ago and was just like, you know, oh, crazy. This is that, you know, it's it's one of those movies people talk about a lot, right? Like people quote it and, and reference it. It's like um, Monty Python or Princess Bride or uh, or Citizen Kane. A lot of the things that we've watched for this poster. Yeah. Um, Seven Samurai. Uh, but one that, um, you know, people quote and, and, and reference, maybe, maybe not quote a lot, but, um, you know, it just comes up. And so I watched it and I was like, oh, whole thing. And then I watched it again. And I think knowing, like, I knew, even if I couldn't remember the whole plot, um, in detail, uh, you know, watching it again, I knew that it ends 
not it doesn't end here but but right before it ends slim pickens rides that nuke out of the plane um you know i remember seeing that it's on gifs all the time um you know i think in some cases it's like the poster for the movie which is dumb because it's a massive spoiler um but so i knew i knew where the film was going and i could get more of the details of how it was going to get there as the story unfolded and so it was easy for me to stay engaged and go like okay they're doing this and now they're going to do this and oh the russians did this and now they're now they're really screwed now they can't uh now they can't do anything and then like they have that fire in the plane and then it burns up their their uh secret code you know display yeah and you're like oh man they're not gonna they're not gonna get them and the um it was funny one of my one of my notes here is compared to team america because um you know if you've seen team america it's like the ultimate version of that like uh i guess jingoist is the best word but like just you know rah-rah for your for your side for your country yeah and um it's a little bit how the scenes in the plane were because you know you've got slim pickens this uh this old western actor you know he's a cowboy and he's up there in the plane like all those all those uh john wayne world war ii movies and and then they're literally playing when johnny comes marching home it's like it's like the early 60s version of the stuff in team america like it's much more subdued and more subtle and there's no profanity but it's the same kind of thing like you're supposed to watch these guys and get fired up you're like yeah he's he's a good old american cowboy and he's up there and they're gonna they're gonna stick it to those ruskies yeah and and the fact that this came out in 1964 it cannot be understated right like it's mm-hmm. we can watch it now and I mean, it's a product of its time yeah, i mean like we yeah. we definitely still have nuclear proliferation yeah plur- proliferation but it's not um not a, you know it's not this cold war state that they were in in 1964 yeah, yeah and and while we can watch anyone who watches this movie now can appreciate it for a lot of different reasons I don't know if they will truly appreciate it for what it was appreciated for and the story the it's time. got. Because yeah. if you were in as a person who did live in that Cold War time, uh, you know, having this constant threat of world annihilation all around you and then having somebody do a such a satire about it and it, like I, I'm sure it just com- straight up addressed everyone's feelings. Right. Everyone in yeah. that theater watching the yeah. show is like when there's the drama series parts, which come right up next to the hilarious parts, you know, they're <laughs> like, yeah, this is terrifying. And this is how I feel every day. And then the comedy of it, you know, they all felt it more real and more serious than probably even we do. Right. Uh, yeah. People who were in 1964 yeah. watched it. So that, that's it, it, being displaced out of time. The audience is it's, it's probably doesn't live up to as impactful as it was when it came out or you know, even any time during the Cold War. Yeah, sure. Like so many things, you you have to have a little bit of a curiosity about film and history. Yeah. Not, not, um, not that it, not that it makes this movie like, Oh, it's not good anymore. Like it's, it is fine. It's got other merits for its own self, but, but that one I'm sure was a huge, huge 
backbone part of it for the longest time. Oh yeah, like like in the time just getting caught up in the in the the horror of of this of this dark comedy. Um dark comedy I, is for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I for the most part was really engaged. Like there were scenes, you know, and things that I laughed at because of the just um boy, I don't even remember now the details but as as you get toward the end like if you've been paying attention and you see what these guys are guys are doing they're like they're so they're so myopic in their in their priorities in their focus that they're like you know even in their in their plans for the bunker to survive for the the species to survive a hundred years they're like Oh, what if the Russians build their own bunker? And then we'll have to. We should prioritize getting some military. You know, I'm t- I'll tell. I'm telling you, Mr. President, we go down there, and and you're like, what really? Right. Yeah. Like, um, I, you know, the, the thing that the thing that was makes this different than let's say Naked Gun, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are so many of the comedy is almost very Naked Gun esque, where it's just like, it's, they're doing a bit here. This guy, the way he's acting, is a bit right for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, but but um, it's also bookended on both sides with very serious things that he, they're saying. Like they'll they'll right, describe right. how the human population is going to to suffer and die, and that we are going to a long, you know, monologue about how we're going to become like Nazist type things and pick people by the computer based on their, um, you know. Uh, race and and sex and stuff and then immediately Mm -hmm. follows it up with this absurdity next comments are totally over the top hilarious so you're you're really stuck with this you know stark scary this is serious type thing and then boom over the top hilarious you're like what what am i feeling it's that mix it's it's sort of the opposite of the thing that i've described uh with marvel movies where something will something very serious will happen in a marvel movie and then they'll let it linger for a beat or two and then they'll crack another joke not, not always like yeah. they didn't do this in infinity war and endgame but it's like the the example we always give is in guardians when they all stand so they can spread out the energy of the stone or whatever yeah. and rocket is like great are you happy now here we are i'll stand in a circle like idiots yeah right. um uh you know to just to keep it to keep it balanced um and this but this one keep, swings this one's you're right it does it definitely does that but it, it swings hard both sides that's yeah that's the this thing about this, this tries to do both like it gets very serious but if it were all very serious nobody would watch it it would be and if it yeah. were all if it were all ridiculous they, people also wouldn't watch it and you wouldn't get the, the you know whatever message they're trying to get across would not yeah uh would not get so across. so this felt this felt where this sits on uniqueness as as a movie or not but what it does better than most I've ever seen is um, trying to get a hardcore hard message about a very serious deadly terrifying thing mixed with slapstick not slapstick but uh, over the top comedy like how, yeah. how do you talk seriously about something so dark and then laugh and this movie right. is going for that hardcore, right? Yeah. They, yeah. When, when they do the when they do the dark, serious stuff, it's dark and serious and scary. And then you know, and then right away they're going to bookend it with hilariousness that's over the top, you know. And some of those are 
you can't just deny that they're really funny. My, my favorite one of all of the lines that were said, what is the name of the British guy who's in, in the entrenched on the, the base with the, the crazy uh, general? Lionel Mandrake. Ma- I have Mandrake. thing about he that, says, but go ahead. My favorite line is he says, come on, hurry up, Mandrake. The redcoats are coming. And like he says that to the British guy. <laughs> that, that was that was really good. That was really, really good. good. I, I was like, I just that's the one where I like chortled out loud. He, he told the British guy to hurry up because the redcoats are coming. So so this is a thing that I definitely was not aware of the first time I saw it, though I knew that there was um the actor playing Doctor Strangelove was was somebody, like whether that was Kubrick or one of the other actors, um, I couldn't remember. Okay. Uh so this actor, Peter Sellers, is probably best known for the original uh, Pink Panther movies. Wait, Peter Sellers was, was Strangelove? I thought he was also the president. He was. Okay. He, he was also the British captain. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. He, he played all three of those characters. Okay. And I could not... I kept staring at him as the president and as Strangelove going... Like, I don't think I would be able to tell if I didn't know. Yeah, I, I didn't. Like, and I, the performance I is so different. And the I think the, you know, the black and white helps there because they have like, he's got a mustache and a British uniform and a hat as one character. And then these weird glasses and like pale makeup and his weird like twitchy robot arm or whatever that is. As strange what is love. that? What is that? <laughs> Where he's got to like salute Heil Hitler all the time. Yeah, it's like there's some, maybe it is that like he's um you know he's he's losing himself to technology as oh, you know you know what it is German I just thought of the, the time period they're trying to probably make some kind of funny comment on Einstein oh is that what it is I mean it's 1964 he was still alive right and yeah and that was he was the big thing in the military Einstein's the most smartest person in the in the world and there's yeah, yeah, the nuclear course. bombs and he's advising presidents and oh. he's a german a former german and i didn't think about that right. till now right. but it's probably a comment on huh. that yeah i didn't know that either not, not that not that uh, i don't know maybe at the time people thought how how could we be praising a, a former german scientist and something and that maybe kubrick was trying to say something about that or, or at least comedy. yeah well i mean and that is um yeah i guess there's some there's some connection there i, I never put that i together. didn't either until just um, now but I thought, yeah for sure I know, that's I a thing that. that's a thing that happened because the cold war was born out of the post-world war ii like tensions right between yeah. the u.s and and the soviet union and 64 but, is not too far removed it was probably filmed in like 62 written in 60 yeah i mean yeah. it's less than 20 years right. um so there and both sides had german engineers because you know the hitler's germany had great engineers i mean even there were great engineers that defected right yeah. that fled who were expatriates um so there was there was uh um a lot of that too yeah i had other i had other notes just things that i thought were interesting there's like something with the gum there's like chewing gum yeah, all over like when they're the, they're in the plane and they're doing the um their survival kit like all the all the weird things that in their was survival that, kit, like, a, like a condom thing, right? like what is that i also loved when they when they pull out the 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 orders for for attack plan r and they've got all these big envelopes i'm like oh it's a legacy game 
like <laughs> or it's the other way around right i'm like oh legacy games are just trying to replicate this or like murder mystery parties are kind of the same thing like where everybody gets yeah, their you own wanna, little command you want to get a sealed envelope and you open it up and it's like oh here's the instructions no one has seen because it's in the sealed envelope kind of yeah that that, kind of that little packet of stuff was kind of a riot like and it just kept going and like a hundred, hundred rupees, a hundred dollars, a hundred in gold, a hundred in silver. Right, like, <laughs> right. What, what do they have in this little bitty box? Right, and a, and a condom, and a condom. Did you notice that yeah. uh, James Earl Jones was the bomber, the bomber? Dude? Yeah, yeah. I I saw him in the credits at the beginning, and I was like, well, I wonder where James Earl Jones is. And, <laughs> is the, yeah. and I saw him. He's like twenty, <laughs> right? Which is great. Yeah. Uh, there, there was the. Um, the the whole thing where the the gen, the crazy general guy, he's like got a mach, machine gun uh, or a tank mounted mm-hmm. machine gun or something. He's just a big a big fifty cal or something. Holding yeah. it, shooting it with like one hand or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is this show about? I, I will say, um, again, the times. It, one yeah. of the things that was off putting a little bit to me, which was kind of hard, was how how fake news ish news news ish it felt like okay okay kubrick's trying to say a thing but none of the none of the science and the serious parts is he considering or does he he seems to know stuff about like the simple thing to say is that there's so many nuclear things on here uh, we hit nuclear winter we we know what nuclear winter is going to be we know radioactive fallout is going to last for you know hundreds of years in uh, chernobyl and things like that these are things mm-hmm. that general public still didn't know in 1962 when this was written yeah we're we're like 20 years before chernobyl yeah so so we they kind of know some science but they're 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 saying things in a kind of a serious way that like because that's what he's trying to address in the message it's like hey if we have a well we'll based on what information they could get like there's there's stuff we knew and there was stuff that the government knew that they most certainly were not telling the public because they didn't want the Russians to find out. Right. And and this movie tries to kind of address those things. They kind of say like, no, you know, uh, nuclear fallout will, will, will be safe underground. And then they make, they make fun of it because it feels like there's information that's out there that people feel like, Hey, maybe we can go underground or it's only for two years and then we'll be fine. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, and that seems like they're addressing it and making fun of it. But the real science of it that we know now, obviously, is that no, there's no going underground. There isn't, and I know he probably thought when he wrote it that that's like an answer, right? So he had to make this, and that, this funny and that thing. they would, and that they would have time that like this, yeah. whatever this doomsday device would not, you know, scorch the the atmosphere in a matter of hours, and they definitely which we know now, work. right? Like we know at now, least right? days. Like they would not have time to dig any tunnels or build any shelters. Like that would have to have all happened. Yeah, and, and they, ahead they of time. the people in the you know in the seventies or eighties, they that's when they really start to realize what nuclear war would would do to humanity, right? And so in the sixties, right. they're just this show when it does its serious parts is not always very correct either, right? Like. When they're sure. trying, where they're trying to, you know, uh, talk about nuclear holocaust and blowing things up, like it's no- nobody n- knows the science well that we know now. So right, um, right. So that that was a little off putting. Like no, no, you don't have to. You don't have to <laughs> come up with some kooky name for a, a special atom that you're gonna, you know, cause the hundred year fallout because it's gonna be a hundred year fallout just yeah. by its own thing. Um, but yeah, I, again, it's product of the time and, and whatnot. So, I mean, it, some of that. I imagine some of that was to 
um uh uh add more fiction to it maybe right to to make it a little more a little more removed right like if you tell a story about politics it's a little more palatable if all the characters are animals <laughs> sure yeah um it you know you could get without just freaking out they're like oh well yeah in this movie they had this thing and this plan like this which all of that seems real but oh there's this weird metal that metal doesn't exist so we're you know we're, we're, we're safe right which which um, you know, he could have just got you, that message you, by saying it you straight get out. Yeah. you get a little bit of the fear without the full like the full panic fear that would make a movie get banned right or oh make sure it not okay yeah censorship okay. boards right okay yeah sure um or being the other or thing, being explicitly overtly political, maybe right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, um, I get it. Yeah. Another thing that I really liked, and this is more down to Peter Sellers' amazing acting, um, is the conversations between the president and oh, know, I was going to prime minister yeah. or whatever of of the Soviet of Russia, Union, yeah. Alexei, yeah. and like you loved it. It's one sided. Like that's all Peter Sellers just talking and reacting to an imagine you know a, a non-existent other side of the phone call and drunk one day just, but then mad the next day the other it, alexi was right yeah right and he just it was like um it was like like teenagers talking on the phone <laughs> you know like pre-cell phone when they used to talk on the phone and like oh no you you hang up first uh, yeah I, all of that was okay comedy, okay i'll hang up but, you, but yeah. you you didn't you didn't hang up it's like Look, of course, Alexi, I wanted you to know. Why wouldn't I? Have, I wouldn't have called wouldn't have you called if I didn't. You. <laughs> <laughs> or like what is what is great is that I in all of his responses, I got that the other guy in the other end of the line is plastered, is totally drunk. Right. Right. Because all, right. all the things he kept saying was like he's telling him about us. The president is telling yeah, him about it's a serious like you get, thing. And he's like, of course, like I would call getting, you as a friendship. We're friends. We're getting the whole conversation from just one side. Like, right. he's playing all of that so well. And and you think, like, when he's telling him, like, the, we're, the world's going to get exploded and we're attacking with nuclear bombs, the immediate response is like, yeah, we're friends. Of course, I would call you if it was in normal <laughs> times. I just call you and hang. You're like, the guy's drunk. Oh, right, right, right. drunk on the other side. Not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, and it's like just this ridiculous situation where the the prime minister of the Soviet Union is I don't know if that's even the right title, but he's uh, you know, he's kind of pouty that the president <laughs> of the United States hasn't called him in two weeks. Right, right, and and he's again, which I thought was funny when he first gives him the phone and the ambassador tells him, um, like, uh, you know, you caught him in the middle of the night and he was drinking, like he was drunk. Mm. It's just a thing that which is which is which is even better. <laughs> Because it puts that whole like humanity spin on it, right? That that right, we're in a spot right. where we're destroying planets and nuclear weapons, and there's humans behind this, which is also kind of another hidden ish point with it. You know, it's like this is the kind of people. Actually, I probably think that's the whole point of the whole show is that they're all absurd, normal human beings. One guy is so obsessed with like his his girlfriend all the time. You know that during the thing, uh, yeah. George C. Scott. Yeah. And well, his 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 relationship with his secretary and also just how much love and respect he has for the pilots in the Air Force. Right. There's that <laughs> moment where they're like, they're like, OK, good. We sent out the codes and every and everybody's back. And then that they have to call him because there's like one that they thought was shot down. That, of course, is Slim Pickens right. and, and James Earl Jones. And um, you're like, 
like oh you know and then he has a whole other conversation with alexi where they're like uh did you, what do you mean you okay well you didn't tell us where what am i what are we supposed to do why don't you you know i know they're flying low and then you know then they cut back to george c scott and he's like they can fly so low and the president's like you know can thing. they can they pull it off and he's like can they pull it off of course and they then like, you see like on his face and they're all like oh we are we're all screwed, we're all screwed. Like, <laughs> um yeah all, another all person that, that was, was interesting there too i want to comment on one is um mm-hmm. the ambassador which was mm-hmm. funny because for the first five minutes of him being on screen he looks like the actor tried really hard to do a, a russian accent and then the rest of the movie he's flat out british like like <laughs> i mean he's a british actor and anyway he's so a he british just, actor he yeah. totally gives up on a russian accent after five minutes and then when he's talking to him near the middle end, when he's talking to Alexi and the Russian guy starts talking, I'm like, he's just talking in a very thick British accent now. It's so <laughs> like, you might as well say bloody cheerio the whole time. Um, right. Right. And then, and but then, of course we have, we have Peter Sellers doing an over the top British uh, character in Lionel Mandarin. Right. right. right so. uh, and then the second thing was, I still don't understand the point except for now, maybe the whole idea of uh, it being Einstein. Uh, of Dr. Strangelove. Like he comes mm. in out of nowhere and they start also, they start doing this whole Nazi bit with him, which it just didn't feel like it fit. And again, it may be just that I didn't watch it at the time period that it was supposed to be recorded. And yeah, that was more that significant. Than I thought, but he just felt like didn't belong, didn't needed. And wasn't unnecessary to anything. It was just an, an extra side Nazi plot. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's part of the, like he's an important part of the the conclusion when they're talking about the the shelters and stuff right yeah like he's sure, the, sure. he's all in on the technology and they're like well yeah there's because well it's both you talked earlier about the human the human element the human error because it's like this one guy who has all these weird ideas about rainwater and uh, their precious bodily fluids which when they the president gets that letter and read they're like we're still not quite sure about that last part so we're, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're looking right. into it and I, I think i laughed out loud because i'm like right. yeah that's what he said when he explained it all to mandrake and you're like what is this guy's deal with the fluids and then you get into the fluoride thing which is a funny right a funny bit but um i, I they... think i think the meaning of the, the whole thing if there's a meaning is that he's really trying to get past the, the fact that uh humans are in charge of this like that it's humans we he wants everybody to know kubrick does that hey you're putting world destructive things in human people's hands that's i think what he wanted to get across to more than anything right well it's i think it's i think it's sort of both because the crazy general or um uh, yeah general ripper sends you know sends this order and Slim Pickens and his guys carry it out, but the whole side thing about the about the doomsday device in Russia is automated, right? There's no human like yes, humans built it, but it's now out of human hands, right? That's the whole. I, I felt that that was it's, that it's was a, a way it's to... a different it's a different sort of twist on mutually assured destruction. Right. Right. Because that's, that's usually the way the narrative goes, right? Like if somebody launches a nuke, everybody else is going to launch their nukes and then we're all screwed. Yeah. Um, except they're, now they're taking the retaliatory strike out of human hands and saying, yeah, we built a machine that if anybody nukes us, we'll just burn the whole planet. 
Yeah. Which is ridiculous, but this whole movie is ridiculous. Of course. So, and, and maybe uh, the fits. idea when, when they introduced that whole bit, I felt that it was a way to, to level the playing field and not make excuses for any of the other reasons of the stupid generals. Like, it's one of those, right. like, this is mutually assured destruction, and we're going to not make it cartoony so that every every character that's reacting here can't just say, like, oh, we win, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, the point was yeah. is that I want everyone, Stanley Kubrick saying, I want everyone to realize and to not question mutually assured destruction in this movie, right? That, yeah. That's got to be that's got to be off the table. So he does that by putting this doomsday device in there where no matter how much the crazy general who's like, just, just nuke him, let's just go all in, you know, <laughs> he he doesn't, he can't even fall back on that. And like you said, it led to that scene where he he's so proud of America and then like, you know, sobers up because it's going right. to kill that that recklessness that he thinks is big. And this is what Kubrick's trying to say, that recklessness of. You know, we are better than them and we're going to nuke them first uh, just is going to lead to our death. Right. Right. And that's was a lot to say there. And in that little funny scene said a lot. Right. It, it really did. It's like, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. We, we need to check ourselves. So, yeah, it's it, it was a good movie. It's good for weird yeah. ways. Right. Let's let's do let's do final judgments. Final judgments. Right. So it's a it's a movie that's weird. Because it's mm-hmm. kind of unique, it's telling a very serious message of, uh, you know, anti-nuclear proliferation and uh, mutually assured destruction. Uh, sure. Yeah. But but then flipping it on very comedic uh, tones at the same time. Yeah. So you, you're yeah. talking about one of the most serious things you could talk about: the end of civilization of the world and humanity with mm-hmm. funny funny jokes, right? With with a lot of with a lot of funny jokes. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a product of its time. It's Stanley Kubrick, but it's not. It's not two thousand and one Stanley Kubrick. It's <laughs> yeah. relatively. I mean, it's it's wild and crazy, uh, but not. You know, there's no twenty minute abstract artistic scene that you're not meant to understand. Right, right. Uh, it's it's all fairly well spelled out. Yeah. Um. So I think, you know, for me, if you're making a list of a hundred movies. I think so far, if if I were, I mean, we've got like three or four Stanley Kubrick films on here. Um, I would recommend this one above either 2001 or The Shining. Oh, for like, sure. I think it was, it's much more entertaining. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's not very long. It's all pretty easy to understand. Um, Peter Sellers gives three amazing performances. Great, I, I mean, as does like George C. Scott is great. Um, um, it's all good. So, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, I would, I would. Uh, I wouldn't say it would be in my top 50, but I can't see if I'm being – 100 is a lot of movies. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I can't see that it wouldn't fit somewhere between 50 and 100 at least to say that it deserves to be on a, a 100 list. And it's, yeah. it, I can't compare it. I can't compare it to anything else. I've never, I've never watched a show that is at the same time deadly serious – but then hilariously funny. <laughs> I've never had that. Yeah. If there's yeah. one I'm missing, please email us and talk to us about it. But uh, I mean, me. you know, there's stuff like airplane, but that's that's just them crashing and dying. Like that's bad, but it's not the end of life on Earth. Yeah. Or even then, it's 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 100 full tilt gags. And I'm sure there's a lot of comedies set in the Cold War, but none of them are deathly serious as at the same tone as comedy. Yeah. You know. As yeah. this one does. So I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I watched this one because I've never seen anything like it and I haven't seen anything since. And it does make me feel 
like I've experienced something different, which, hmm. which is pretty good, right? I mean, it's yeah. silly, but yeah. when I, as I said in the spoiler section, when I was done, I felt I watched a thing, and I don't know what to think about it, right? Yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, this is, I mean, it is a comedy, but it's also supposed to be a little bit thoughtful. So you're supposed to get to the end of it and go, hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially in 1964. Of, of course, especially, yeah. And and to, if you could watch this show and really kind of think about it being early 60s, right? So not too far out of World War II. If you can think about being yeah. an audience member yeah. at that time, if, if, if you're old enough to remember any of the Cold War, it helps. Um, and then it, <laughs> right, it, that, right. will, that will enhance the movie also like a hundredfold. So uh, that's pretty good. So what do we watch uh, next? What's our next thing? Let's do... Boys in Boys in the Hood. In boys the in the hood. hood. Okay. Boys in the Hood. Got it. How like you uh, Boys in the Hood? Okay, nice. Well, there's an N. I know. But I then know. the full world, the, the fur, full word, the man. I can't talk tonight. Um, that, that that was the best white guy impression I've ever heard you say. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, because I said duh, and so I was in the wrong. Uh, anyway, n- 1991. I don't know what this is about. Uh, oh, it's about L- uh, gang, LA gang ghetto. Stuff, yeah. 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 Compton, stuff like that. Uh, what else have you been doing this week? We got, we got a little bit of time to, to chat before we, we um, wrap this up We here. talked about this. We talked about this a little bit. I started watching the um, uh, the documentary series, The Last Dance. Oh, did you get to watch oh. a couple of those? Uh, just the first one so far. Okay. Yeah. Hey, um, what do you think about it? You, you were you were what age in the, pr- the pretty good the I. Era? I was born in eighty one. So when they won their first championship in 91 i was 10 so by the time they won the third time i grew up uh about a half hour to an hour north of chicago so of course it was just it was just all around i was never into sports as a kid the sports ball um and so i didn't i didn't really watch you know i tried t-ball and iceless hockey and stuff and just never got into any of it i never really became a sports fan i became a pretty regular watcher or fan of the indianapolis colts Mm -hmm. when after living in indy for two years and then being in bloomington but it was mostly always it was always mostly a social thing Uh, sure kind of like a lot of the things that we uh a lot of the media we consume for this podcast like because people were talking about it i would watch it and then watch the games and then we talk but i never really got into any other sports but still living up by chicago it had to at least been pervasive yeah of course my right my my grandpa watched all the sports. He watched the Cubs, the Bears, and the Bulls. And he took uh, my cousin and I down to the city um, for the three-peat, the third victory. They wow. had a big rally wow, okay. in uh, in Grant Park. And I just remember being in this open area. I'm, of course, I'm a kid, so I'm short, right? I'm yeah. six feet now as an adult. But, you know, as a kid, like 10, uh, well, what would it have been, like 12, Um I just remember us being in like a little bit of open space and just like a wall of people around us. And it's this big open park. So it was hot in the sun and there was a blimp flying around and it would uh, uh, make a shadow. Right. (laughs) And so for just a few seconds, you would be in shade for a minute and, and everybody looked like <laughs> I love that this is your funny. memories of the Bulls championship. Like the weird yeah. sort of fit. well, I was I was too short to see right, right. anything going on. So like that's that's what I remember of. It's like going downtown and being <laughs> this 
in this thing. For, but for, for me, um, I, go ahead. When I where, where I was at in in life here was I was born in '75, so I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, and right. there's a little college called ISU, and Larry Bird went into won mm. his championship, and he when he won the cha- the NBA championship, he said, "I did it for Terre Haute," and that was like erupted there and I grew up in Indiana where basketball's huge and everybody plays basketball. Yeah. And yep. so basketball I, was big in my family. I spotted Bobby Knight in the first episode Bobby of Bobby Knight. Uh, there, there's all that. Uh, so there there is um always a lot of basketball growing up in the in, in, in where I was. Uh all it was the by far the biggest thing. And um so the NBA was really big and I got into middle school um and Let's see, let's see, that'd be seventh grade. What would that put me? Be 12 years old. That would put me at uh, like 87. So right right in the thick of all that. I mean, you have great stars mm-hmm. like Dr. J, um, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Clyde Drexler, Isaiah Thomas. You know, every these, these like crazy legendary type things of, of basketball was right there in the 80s. So it was hard not to know all of every single one of these larger than life characters. And then when sure. the Bulls came in, that's when, like I said, my, my family always watched the Celtics and Lakers, but I was too little to really notice anything. But about middle school, I started, you know, playing basketball outside with friends. And that was a thing we did every day. There was always, you know, neighbor kids on every block that had, open basketball you just walk in their backyard you start playing basketball yeah it's, a, yeah it's a weird thing now that i think about it like you just go to some random alleyway and there's a basketball thing in somebody's backyard and you just neighbor kids are playing on somebody's yard playing it but that's how it was back then and yeah um, and and i i definitely it's funny now that you now that you say that we had one of those freestanding uh hoops yeah yeah and there were definitely times when i'd go out and you know dribble the ball and shoot the ball but like my uh, second, my oldest younger brother, um, you know, played in high school and like, you know, got really into it. And of course just loves, uh, he's the one who told me about this, this mini series a few yeah. months ago when it, when it came out. Cause of course so, he so was, it's, it's about, he was big into that. This one, this, this show, this documentary, the last dance, it was from ESPN and now you can watch it I think, on Netflix or something. Um, it yeah. is, um, just funny because it's, ESPN is Disney, but whatever. the The thing is that uh, it's mainly about the last game that they had. They had they the Chicago Bulls have won the five championship national championships at that time. Mm-hmm. This was the last one. It was uh, set up at the very beginning of the season where it was obvious and to it wasn't a question to anyone that this was the last time you were ever going to see this team together, like flat right. out. Everyone yep. knew it. It was open, and that's what it was. Even though they kind of play with it, it was not a secret. Um, and so this is talking about that, but it also talks about that whole dynasty in each episode, right? It talks about the mm-hmm. first and how it came and how Jordan came and what the Bulls were like in Chicago. It does it in a really good way. And it's great for me to watch this because of the time I was in and, and all of a sudden these characters that I knew of in, you know, I jump and say bird or Jordan, you know, you go in <laughs> as you shoot the ball. Uh, and I see them on on there, and you experience the championships and the the the, the game winning stuff. I I cannot tell you watching Michael Jordan play that how stunned you were watching it, like in real time, 
nothing. It was yeah. like kind of best way you can describe it now is if for Indianapolis fans watching Peyton Manning play, like that you you never ever no matter how far down you were you had like this heroic figure that could pull stuff single handedly out of the ashes and win. Yeah, I mean I've I've had you know like I said I'm not I'm not a big sports sports guy but I remember watching one of the one of the significant IU games of course IU basketball is huge especially in southern indiana yeah. um but I was at uh a, a Bloomington bar called the Vid which is not a bar where people watch sports <laughs> but there was a big game and so somebody had it on one of the TVs and we were all just you know sort not not entranced or mesmerized but basketball is a fast sport yeah. um it's part of why I didn't really get into it like I, I never got into any of those fast sports it's part of what I appreciate about football is that it is a little bit mental it's a little bit strategic yeah. and the play is metered out I know a lot of people don't like that if they're soccer fans or whatever mm-hmm. um, they want to see stuff always happening but I'm like man when there's stuff always happening I don't have any breaks to like <laughs> you know yeah. to, to relax to, sure. to get on the group text and make a joke or you know um whatever but i remember watching that basketball game and all of us just go and then somebody would make a shot and i could i could hear the all the people around me at the bar like hold their breath as yeah. as the ball's flying through the air and i'm like man this is it's this intense, intense right and and watching watching him play was the same way it's like you you you're watching a a pivotal it's like a playoff game right or the the a, mm-hmm. a, not even a, a championship game and, and this team that's not that great except you have michael jordan playing and like every time he gets the ball and makes a shot and it's like it's really like a lot of times he was watching one person play the game against five other people and like, like uh like space jam <laughs> like space jam right and and he's and he, he in reality was like just give him the ball and they talk about that by the way in later episodes it's like the earlier mm-hmm. coach in the first ones where they got it was the 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 only coaching advice before they had Phil Jackson was give the ball to Michael it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm not changing that thing flat out. My coaching style is give the ball to Michael Jordan. And when you watched it, you know, it was that way. You just, you're watching one person take on five people every time. And the other guys were just kind of like, how can I pass it to him real quick? That's the only thing they did was recover the ball mm-hmm. and pass it to Michael Jordan. Right. Because right. he would run up there and also recover his own shots, make his own shots, rebound the ball, take the ball, steal the ball. And you're like, wow, this is, this is what you want to do as a kid. It's you can't have anything better to hero worship than a guy who works tire, tirelessly and is dedicated and yeah, it's like a doesn't do drugs, it, you know? Right, right. It's like a superhero, but real, but, but real. who who worked for it? Like he had he had clearly has talent, but also had. I mean, and as an adult, I know that like yes, he had physicality as one talent but his real like talent his real like uh uh genetic advantage let's just yeah. say it that way was his personality and his drive like yeah. there was something something deep inside of him that wanted and and always wants to be the best always and, at every game and yeah. and is and and that desire is such that he put the work in that he always, you know, they got that in the first episode when he was yeah. in college. It was like it was not just, it was not just a desire. It was not just an ar- arrogance. Um, it was this drive that made him work 
harder and longer than anybody else and then also had the physical talent to uh to take advantage of that dedication yeah right it was the perfect storm of everything and honestly i i will still say though there never has been i know there's the things about kobe bryant and some other mm-hmm. people that are out there but like i still say that there's no has never been and no ever will be that will who may see another person like him playing that game uh so the first episode was mainly michael centric i've seen three so far of them um and they okay or i'm starting the fourth one it's really great because it still continues to tell the story of that season as in pieces as it goes through, but it, mm-hmm. it breaks down the different players. While the first one was about Michael, and all of them are about Michael, right. um, they, the second one starts to center mainly around Scottie Pippen and okay. who he is and what he does and where he came from and then how his relationship with Michael works. And the next one is Dennis Rodman and how he works. And the next one is Phil Jackson, the coach, and where he comes from. And, and all of a sudden, you start realizing you see all these pieces coming together and in the interviews, they don't actually have interviews together, but they kind of interact with each other, right? They, mm-hmm. They'll have Michael Jordan telling a story and then they'll flash to about Dennis Rodman and then they'll flash to Dennis Rodman where evidently the interviewers told him this, this thing and he'll respond, right? Like, Oh yeah, I remember that day. And, sure. And, sure. And yeah. I, they're doing I, separate interviews the and then, the one interview gives them questions for the uh, the interview for right. The- so so you're you're hearing very Dennis Rodman centered storylines, but then you have Michael Jordan telling them and Dennis Rodman uh, expanding upon that, and then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, there's so much more dynamics here between the team. It just was such a good thing. I had I had um, heard of this kind of a weird way because I haven't watched basketball in ten fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's not, no sports going on during the pandemic. No, and this right. thing was the thing that everybody talked about, like, hey, we have something finally. So <laughs> that's where it hit on my radar. I thought, oh, okay, well, that's weird that everyone is talking about the thing that I really loved. And I remember that. So maybe it's worth a call. And I randomly started watching it. And I'm, I really let, I'm really enjoying watching it. It's, you know, good directing, good writing, but whatever they do for documentaries. Um, Editing. Editing, yeah, uh, good storytelling of a in, a really amazing time in sports. You know, and you don't like you said you're yeah. not a big sports guy, but it's still entertaining even if you're not, right? It's yeah, I mean, it's stuff I remember from my childhood, and it's you know, it's an interesting story. It is, and it, it's great. I, I'm I'm interested to watch how like see I can't remember how many episodes there are totally in that that, that thing, but to see what their their ultimate story of it is i, yeah. I will say the, the yeah. first little side caveat on the first episode they really are throwing jerry Krause, the, <laughs> the general manager under the bus like i don't know they, I have they, no opinion they on introduce that. him and i'm like oh here's the villain i see yeah uh, clearly that's and then <laughs> and then they then they right away are like well he he wasn't this but he had these problems and then you see michael jordan interact with them and you're like man he was a real jerk to this guy yeah. like no wonder he like I mean you don't you know you, it's edited right so you get yeah. that you don't know what other kind of conversations like what uh Kraus ever said to to Michael about stuff if it was a kind of back and forth well you kind you of do, thing you do later on when they start because he he still remains kind of a villain throughout all of it sure like, they'll get to parts like when they're negotiating Scotty Pippen's contract and Kraus just is a butthole about it right mm-hmm. and he is just underhanded and and shrewd and like 
no caring. And then it's, it doesn't help that they're actually talking to the, they're also interviewing the owner of the bulls. And right. the owner of the bulls is very much like, I'm giving what they want. They're winning us stuff. I love them. Right. You know? And <laughs> yeah. And this Krauss yeah. guy is, is trying to be a, a manager or something. But anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know what I think about him or the thing. I've not watched enough to know, but I thought it was funny that they immediately throw him under the bus and make him a villain. I'm like, whoa, they, yeah, yeah. they weren't it's, mincing it's their subtle. opinions here uh, a bit. Yeah. So it was good. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've enjoyed the last dance. Yeah. It's an ESPN, yeah. ESPN films. Um, yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Oh, I think that's got it for us today. Mr. Mr. Rogers. Yep. Dr. Rogers. Dr. Rogers. Yeah. Not, not a doctor. Um, <laughs> I just want to double check. You just play one on TV, right? Uh, yeah. It's on Netflix. Um, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. weird. It's okay. a weird thing that they didn't put that on Disney plus. Yeah, I don't know what what the story is there with uh with ESPN. Um and all that because I think they're owned by Disney too. Though they have their they own streaming. They 100% thing, are so. and uh, the 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 NBA is launching like tomorrow actually with their they've been doing scrimmages but they're actually having a a really cool interesting type season thing where they're not playing with any audience. They're all, mm -hmm. they all, all the teams that are playing in this shortened season are going down to Disney in Florida because they have a big sports complex, like, right, campus. right. And they're staying there with all the coaches isolated and quarantined for months. It's hmm. kind of a weird, interesting thing, but and it's all in the ESPN type thing. So it's a, his, it's a very historical season that's going to happen here real soon. <laughs> sure. As, as almost anything. In Anything that happens this year is, is historic, but for sure. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, once again, next week is boys in the hood. Um, and yeah, I'm going to keep watching that last dance and we'll, we'll probably have some more when we get, when we've seen all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Well, you've been listening to the front porch. This is episode 153. Ooh, nice. Thanks as always to our friends. At Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, um, tell us what you thought about Dr. Strangelove or if there were elements of that historical context that we were not aware of, uh, you can email us directly, frontporchpod at gmail.com, or go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com. We've got contact forms there. It's super easy. Uh, if you enjoy this show, you can subscribe on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are found. As always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.